This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on operationalizing your compliance program, sponsored by Broadcat LLC. Over this series, I visit with Jennifer May, Director of Compliance Advisory, Taylor Edwards, Director of Sales, Xenia Perkey, Design Manager, Alex Klingelberger, Chief Executive Officer, and J.C. Dempsey, Director of Customer Success. We consider a variety of ways to more fully operationalize your compliance regime, including the design and effectiveness of your communications, why the operationalization of compliance is a team sport, why simply data is not the answer, and how to avoid being overwhelmed. First, a quick word about our sponsor, The Broadcat. Broadcat designs operationalized compliance communications and training. Imagine guidance for your managers on when an employee comes to them with a concern condensed into a customizable one-pager, or a checklist for approvers so they can know what red flags to look for in expense reports and invoices. Broadcat has been called a behavioral compliance best practice by the Temple Law Review. So check out Broadcat at thebroadcat.com. In this part three, I'm joined by J.C. Dempsey, and we take up the operationalization of your compliance training and communication. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and I'm thrilled today to have J.C. Dempsey. J.C. is the Director of Customer Success at The Broadcast. J.C., first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Absolutely. I'm really excited to be here. JC, the topic of today's episode is operationalization. And one of the first books I wrote on compliance was how to operationalize your compliance program. So that is not only a term near and dear to my heart, but more importantly, it's something the Department of Justice continually reminds us that compliance professionals and compliance programs must do as recently as the fall 2022 with the Monaco memo. They talked about operationalization of compliance. So I wanted to visit with you today, how you see the roles of employees in an organization around operationalization and the role of compliance in helping them to operationalize compliance. An incredibly long-winded introduction. Could you start with maybe the top of the organization? What do you see their role? And more importantly, how does how should compliance help them to operationalize their role in compliance? Yeah, I think first off, it's helpful to really break down what operationalizing compliance, what that actually means. It's a big fancy word that actually means something pretty simple. Making compliance not something that is done on a time basis, on a routine basis, like once a year, but rather something that is integrated into the day-to-day work for all your employees. It means that you are training them on what they actually are doing that creates or mitigates risk versus compliance concepts generally, which is much easier for compliance people to do because that's what we live and breathe. That is what we do and we know it and it's easy to regurgitate that, but it doesn't always land with our employees. It's also not really fair or effective to just hope that they'll figure out how to apply your policies or these key concepts to their everyday. That is our job, as they say, says easy, does hard. And 
For our top level employees, it is especially important that they get that and then they understand that, what compliance is all about. As they say, there's the tone at the top, the mood at the middle, and the buzz at the bottom, all the buzzwords. And while technically compliance may own compliance, it is a team sport. You can't be everywhere at once, nor should you be. And you have to engage your leaders, but we hear that all the time, right? But what does that actually and practically mean? And I think that's really what you're getting at with your question. It means to me, making the business case for compliance. And at Broadcat, we have an entire chapter in a book devoted to that topic. Because if you want the buy-in and support from business, you have to speak the language of the business. And that's what gets you the seat at the table. Your leaders, they need to understand that their attitude towards compliance, that it trickles down to the rest of the organization and that your employees are looking up to them. If they're not talking about ethics and compliance regularly, and I don't mean like the introductory page in your code embedded into their speeches and their communications and their tweets and what have you, following the spirit of your policies and rewarding and promoting your ethical employees. If they're not doing that, it's going to affect the entire culture of the organization, no matter what you're trying to do in the compliance team. So that's why you need to have them on board. And they also need reminded of that. So it's, I think that's one of the easiest things that you, we can do is remind the, your senior leaders of their role and how impactful that their decisions and actions are. And then thinking about middle managers, they may be even more impactful than your C-suite, making sure that you're reaching out to them as well. And let me go into the middle managers, because I think most compliance professionals understand that's really where the rubber hits the road, whether it be communicating the message of compliance or equally importantly, being an input for employees who want to go in and talk to their managers, who may want to raise their hand, who may want to shout out, who may want to raise a concern, whether it's all the way up to bribery and corruption or just, hey, I think there's a way we might be able to do something a little better and more efficient. How does compliance help train middle managers for those dual roles, but both incredibly important? Yeah, those are the folks that are engaging day to day with their teams. Middle managers make decisions on raises, promotions, what projects their people are on. And often that position is the employee's next step in their career ladder. And so they're paying very close attention on the way that their manager acts, the things that they say, the way that they think, because that's what they're trying to emulate to move up. The middle managers are a living, breathing, real life, tangible example of what the organization promotes no matter what's on paper. And they're also key to operationalizing compliance. Um, so when we think in making sure that, and uh, to your point, making sure people feel comfortable speaking up and going to them, they're closer than your senior leaders to those risky behaviors that you're trying to monitor and influence. And so if you're building relationships with this group, it can pay off immensely. We, they can tell you what's actually happening versus what the paper product processes. So making sure you're having regular touch points, that there is a, a communication channel both ways. You're not just pushing out messaging and giving them resources, which is great and you should be doing that. But you also need to make sure that you've got that other pathway where they can communicate back with you without feeling like they're going to get reprimanded in some way. And they will also then do the same with their employees. And that's what creates that the open communication, that open dialogue. 
And then also thinking what I mentioned causation a moment ago, and that is the focus of our conversation today, they know where the pain points are. They know what activities in their area are the riskiest. They have great ideas for measuring internal controls and whether they're working. They can tell you that. They can also offer insights on how to make compliance easier. And if you want your people to be compliant, make it easy. And the bonus there is if they feel directly supported by you and your team, if you've built that relationship, you'll be the first call when something goes wrong. You'll speak up because they know that you have their back and you're not there to play the gotcha game, but really to fix things and to do better and to improve. A wise woman once told me, be the mayor, not the sheriff. I think it is a, a big shift for some compliance teams to think in that way, but it is an important shift in the way that we think and that we interact with not just our managers, honestly, but all employees. And so that's how, you know, because they're the people that can help empower your, the rest of the organization to spot those red flags. As long as you tell them what to do, what exactly to do when they see those red flags, then they'll have all the information that they need if you've got that relationship, that psychological safety built in, that it's okay and that you're there to fix things before they go sideways or more sideways. And give them those tools and help them promote ethics and compliance. They need that. They want to, they just don't have all the tools because that's what they've been trained their whole life to do. That is the knowledge that you have as a compliance person that you can give them. That's the gift. Jesse, I've heard you use a couple of different phrases that I want to follow up on. The first one is that for the compliance professional, for the corporate compliance function, your customers are your employees or the company employees. The second thing is seven different times, seven different ways. And if it's true that in the compliance world, your customers are your employees, how does that phrase seven different times in seven different ways really apply to the concepts around compliance communications and messaging? Yeah, I think in compliance, we don't always think of our employees as customers, but we should, because essentially your role is like an internal marketing agency. You're trying to influence behavior. It's not about pushing out policies or other resources and information. That's important to have those components, sure, because you want to manage it. You want people to know what the expectations are, but it's also making sure that we're making actual meaningful change in the way that people do their jobs. And we're making sure that we're reducing, that is what compliance is all about, is reducing risk. So it's not just, hey, we're going to tell you to do the right thing and then give you like, oh, and there's here's a law, we'll tell you about the law. But it's really delivering guidance and that moment when they need it with very concrete steps. Here's what you need to do to be successful in your position. It's a win-win for everyone, right? And it doesn't have to be fancy. I hear a lot about like, how can we gamify this? Or it, it, we need interaction and, or we need to make everything into video format. It really just needs to be relevant and applicable to their specific job. So what I mean by that is not blanket training, sticking something in the LMS and have everyone take it because we don't want to miss out on every, anyone. When we think about marketing, it's short and routinely measured and tweaked for effectiveness. And your training and communications should be too. 
it's really hard to focus on measuring results and focusing more on that. I think it's easy to get lost into looking at the list of risks and making sure we've checked them all off. But that's absolutely pivotal to having an effective program. And then thinking about the, that marketing term, uh, the seven, seven different ways, seven different times. It could be 10 or it could be six. It's just the term. But the, the idea there is it's not copying and pasting the same message over and over. It's thinking through the different ways that you can message your employees. What's available to you? It may be internal social media, utilizing those flat panels that are in break rooms or in front of elevators or near the cafeteria, or simply pushing out screensavers on everyone's computer with those quick reminders or a desktop shortcut to your reporting hotline. It can be emails from the compliance team, but also from leaders and your middle managers doesn't always have to be compliance, embedding checklists and decision trees into your processes, and making sure that you're providing toolkits to your managers and leaders for discussion-based training. Because the more you can have dialogue about topics, the better. It's much better than any computer-based form training, and the research is very clear on that. So I think that's seven, even though I didn't mean to. <laughs> I was counting on my fingers. But the, really, the idea is you can't influence behavior by putting all your compliance courses into an LMS and then saying, hey, we're effective because we talked about all these topics. And now I'm done and on to the next thing. Earlier, I talked about thinking about effective training as more of that marketing campaign. And that is something you hear in the marketing world. But there's true power in repeating a message and packaging it in a way that the end user can really get it. And they'll be thinking of compliance or they'll be thinking of that red flag or whatever it is that they need to do when they're face to face with that risk, when things could go wrong and they can direct the conversation or the activity in, in the right way. And again, I like to frame everything in extremes. That's what we do at Bridecat because you can always have too much of a good thing. What it doesn't mean is that you need brand new training every year or two years. It's not about making compliance new and exciting. Let's get real, there's not much you can do to make compliance <laughs> new and exciting unless you're a compliance geek like I am and the, probably our audience today. But it's about experimenting to see what mix works and sticking with it until your metrics tell you that it's not working anymore. And then, of course, investigating why. And if you need a new format or a whole new course, then if that's what it seems to be that it's gotten stale, then change it up. But I don't. Don't tire yourself out on trying to create a new ad campaign, if you will, for anti-corruption or conflicts of interest every year. Measure it and stick with what's working. JC, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time on this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode. We're going to take up effectiveness redux. Before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any additional information on any of the topics we've touched on today, where would be the best place for them to go? Yeah, if just at thebroadcat.com. We've got tons of free downloadable resources and our blog is really a great place to start if you'd like to learn more about all our compliance topics we've talked about today. JC, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Absolutely. Thanks again, Tom. Appreciate it.
This is Tom Fox again. Hope you've enjoyed this episode and our special five-part podcast series with the Broadcat on operationalizing compliance. The Broadcat is one of the most innovative compliance product and service providers that I know of in the compliance space. They have been way ahead of the game in visualization and other strategy and tactics that are not normally used to help uh, influence behavior and compliance. So I hope you will check them out. Once again, their website is thebroadcat.com.